0: As we sat together this afternoon, I was reminded about of a meeting I had once with Thich Nhat Hanh, a well-known and very well-loved Vietnamese Zen teacher, who for much of his life lived just very close by to here until, until last year, in fact. And we'd, we'd um, done something called a Yatra, means a a pilgrimage or a long walk, we'd spent three weeks walking from the place where we lived in the Pyrenees with a group of about 80 people um, to Plum Village, mm-hmm. Thai center, Thich Mahan's center, and silent walking every day and stopping to sit together, and then also that sense of Sangha connection in evening times and uh, teachings and exploration and uh, hanging out together and that that still carries on now it's 17 or 18 years later there's still a yatra every year though we we organized the first seven of those and then um, now other friends do that so having having uh, walked for 3 weeks to get there i spent a little time with tai and uh One line I remember that touched me very much at the time and he said when I sit I feel like I want to sit forever when I walk I feel like I want to walk forever kind of a beautiful evoking of freeness free relationship to sitting and and I wonder how that strikes you. When I sit, I feel like I want to sit forever. And it may be, of course, during the course of today that you've had other kinds of responses (laughs) to sitting. And, of course, it's not that that feeling, I feel like I want to sit forever, it's not that that feeling itself, of course, would last forever. No feeling can last forever anyway. Right? We know that in our lives. And of course, after a certain while, you know, there's, a, there's a certain intensity, a bodily stillness, etc. Right? That feeling would change into a natural recognition that it would be wise or appropriate, or natural, free, to shift to some other posture, some other activity. But that feeling feel like I want to sit forever. Something about an availability to the blessing and the beauty and the mystery, miracle of being alive. Something about the availability just to the touch of life. And the way in which we might have that sense of what an, what an extraordinary way to pay deep respect to life. Bye. Being here as fully and fluidly and freely as we're able to. And the way that feeling, which you may find touching you in some moments, right? feeling of just being overcome, I don't mean emotionally overcome, but actually just overcome by the... Intimacy with life by something that's kind of too profound maybe to give words to about what it means to sit in this moment of life. What it is just to know body walking in the midst of life. And it also evokes when we hear that kind of thing a sense of vision of a freeness from the kinds of reactivity and dramatizing and storytelling and the the kind of pushing and pulling that we can do with our own body and mind and life in different moments. And I was reflecting after remembering this conversation on... um, Ways in which I was affected by or touched by, really, the freeness of my own teachers in different ways. My Indian teacher, who I lived with for about two and a half years in the lower Himalayas, just he kind of um, was kind of quite simple in in terms of teachings. And there was nothing complicated. He kind of expressed a certain freeness. And just in, in re- remembering the kinds of memories that came to me this afternoon, in just reflecting before coming in here, I remember particularly the way he would open a jar freely. Something about just a kind of a certain gracefulness, uh, a lack of contraction that could be seen or felt in. Uh, in some kind of simple gestures, in the way of turning a piece of wood in the fire. Right? Attention plus care plus a certain ease in the process. And attention plus care plus ease or non-reactivity tends to express itself in a, in a certain uh, gracefulness that we can actually know and be touched by. Another um, sadhu, kind of a hermit monk that I spent some time with quite high up in the mountains was about 5,500 meters. So it's pretty cold up there. My highest mountain tip of Mont Blanc is the summit of Mont Blanc. Mont Blanc. 4,800, right on the tip. So this is 5,500. It was very high. It was on top of a glacier at a place called Tapovan, And it was October. Sunshine, when the sunshine was there, you could feel a little bit of warmth. And the moment, those of you who've been in the high mountains, you know the moment the sun goes behind the cliff, very, very, very cold. And I had all kinds of thermal layers and uh, polypropylene and fleece and all of that. Very cold. And this, this uh, sadhu I was with, Omgiri, he had one of these. It's called a gamcha. Right? That's it. That was his entire clothing. It was mostly to preserve his modesty. Right. So you have one of these, like this, around the waist. Otherwise, Naked in the snow, and he had a kind of fabulous languid way of sitting, like this. He had a stick, he would lean on like this, and his arm would kind of droop, freely. It was a kind of expression of freeness, in the way the wrist and arm are at ease. And as you know, right, when we get cold, what do we tend to do? Tense. So I said, "Oh, Baba, here you are at five and a half thousand meters. Naga, naga means naked. How how do you uh, how do you manage?" He says, "I relax. Sense, you know of." Uh, a capacity to know a kind of ease, and as I reflected on those those couple of memories, it made me realize i've i've 've learned a lot about practices and teachings and wisdom from listening and from studying and from um, investigating in different ways, but I really learned about freeness from my teachers, not from what they said or from what they knew, but from how they were. And the way that, that the being can express a certain freeness of being, a freeness of being generally, and most particularly a freeness of being when circumstances get challenging. For most people, when circumstances get challenging, the inner condition also gets challenged. One, right? One, there may be a tendency towards freezing or towards uh, panicking or towards disassociating, etc., right? etc. Et but what we find, the more... Um, The more we practice, the more we kind of know something about habitual tensions and about the capacity to for ease or freeness, then the more actually we find that when circumstances become difficult, something in us actually opens more. That our capacity to meet and explore and respond freely to what's happening actually increases. And of course, sometimes that happens naturally for people. Sometimes people report, for example, in, in, in a dangerous situation or in a car crash or something, a sense of really slowing down. And they're actually finding that they've got re- much more time subjectively than usual to notice and to feel and to process what's happening. And that's actually a feature of a kind of deep relaxation. That's a feature of a deepening practice. We have more time, more space. We kind of think of time as something that we measure by the clock. right? But the clock doesn't measure time. Time is immeasurable. A clock measures minutes. But experience doesn't arrive in minutes. Experience is here. And it turns out that here can open up in all kinds of ways. And one of the most significant conditions for here opening up is ease. Relaxation. A freeness that, like in the examples I was just giving, can actually be can be known and felt and really expressed viscerally, physically. It's one of the things that people love about His Holiness Dalai Lama. He doesn't seem uptight, right? Does he? Those of you who may have met him or seen him or just do on YouTube or whatever, generally, he seems to radiate a kind of lightness of being, ease of being. That kind of lightness that that we feel drawn to. Because Dalai Lama is a very wise being as well, but mostly what we might associate or hear from him, I can't think of much that Dalai Lama has said off the top of my head, right? But I can but that sense of a lightness and ease. The lightness that actually comes from holding experience lightly. And the more we hold experience lightly, the more we experience, um, the more things feel light to us. The basic aliveness of being human, right? the basic aliveness of ourselves, the basic stuff of having a sensory apparatus, the basic capacity to see and hear and feel is quite pleasurable. Of course, pleasant and unpleasant experiences impact all our senses. But the basic capacity, the more we're able to relax, the more we're able to touch a kind of basic okayness, a basic pleasure, you might even say, a basic ease, a basic lightness of being. So being here, these days, as we said last night, is an invitation. An invitation to relax. To slow down. To soften. An invitation to orient towards that kind of uh, ease. And yet, of course, as we do that, inevitably, the very... Just like when I said at the beginning, that line of ties, when I sit, I feel like I want to sit forever. Even just orientating towards that possibility can sometimes show us all the rest that's going on. All the non-ease. All the non-lightness. And like we said yesterday, those two facets go together. On the one hand pointing to natural freeness. On the other hand, being confronted with whatever's not free. On the one hand, uh, evoking a certain lightness that's possible in how we meet experience. On the other hand, noticing the heaviness that may be quite habituated. And We find that just in, in, in sitting quietly, for example heaviness, density, heat. We're not putting much pressure on our bodies just by sitting around. You're putting a little more pressure on your legs if you sit on the floor. right? If you sit on a chair, you're not really putting pressure anywhere. But whether you're on the floor or whether you're on a chair, easily we can experience a lot of heat and density and discomfort. Often in places that there's no no physical pressure at all back, shoulders, neck, belly, head. Anyone experienced any heaviness or density or heat in any of those areas today? So there's a kind of metabolizing process that happens where by evoking the possibility of allowing, softening, meeting relaxing we actually make room for the for the the beginnings of the movement of of those elements of activity that those elements of uh, habit that have you know become stored as tensions in various ways the somatization of all the ways we've been painfully impacted by life, basically. Painfully impacted by circumstances, initially, and then painfully impacted by our uh, reactions to circumstances. So, first day of the retreat. Maybe you've been just making room for that Certain gentle relaxation. Maybe you've, like we said yesterday, been slowing down and simplifying and softening. Regardless of what you find, regardless of any heat and tension that might show up. Softening with, softening into, making room for any of that. We can't make ourselves relax. That would be comic, no? Right, now I'm going to make myself relax. Trying to make something happen is the opposite of relaxing. We can't force relaxation. But we can um, orientate in that direction. Orientate through just the... Moment by moment, willingness to, oh, to, to drop that reactivity, to let go of that familiar scenario, to leave alone that um, obsessive loop that I get into, obsessing about the discomfort I might be experiencing, or obsessing about how long there is till the bell's going to ring, or obsessing about how hot it is, or obsessing about whatever you might obsess about. You fill in your own favorite obsessions. So maybe there's that allowing, softening. Or maybe there's the just being confronted by some of the directions mind easily goes in. Last week we talked about what we were calling the meditator's top five troublesome mind states. Various directions mind goes in, like obsessing, like I was just saying, being one of those directions. Or dullness, somebody was mentioning this morning. The tendency to just... The heat and tiredness that can be there might also contribute to that sinking mind or just the agitation that comes from living maybe a kind of revved-up life, where we're so used to doing, thinking, pursuing, uh, being fascinated by. A life where if there is a moment of boredom, just fill it up with something, grab the phone, uh, etc., how interesting, right? More and more recently, these studies, you may have read them too, that show the, the, the value of boredom. The value of moments where I don't know what to do. The value of a mind, in other words, that can have some respite from stimulation. Another thing we easily get into um, is Striving in meditation, trying really hard. We take some, actually some distorted version of the instructions. We've heard something about awareness of body and breath. Something I said earlier about staying with. Okay, you know, right, I'm going to stay with. And we try to force, not rather than just inclining and re-inclining our attention, which is what I've been saying, we try to force our mind to stay. Right. Try to string together an impressive number of breaths one after the other. And, wow, then you'll really get some uh, some heat and density. Actually, quite a lot of the heat and density that gets generated in practice comes from us trying. It's very sincere and beautiful. But... Um, Whereas many things in life will yield to that kind of uh, engagement, meditation isn't one of them. You can't try your way to freeness. How could you? How could freeness be something that I can create, that I can make happen? Wouldn't be very free, right, if it was dependent on me putting it together. It's rather, oh, as we oh, manage to give up our trying, so as to find the freeness that's available to us. So it turns out that relaxation is an art. Most of us don't really know how to relax. Or we have the associations with relaxation that mostly involve going unconscious in various ways. Right? The dullness that we heard about this morning. Just, oh. We most of us like we have kind of cultural pursuits of relaxation. Right? We watch T V to relax maybe. It's a certain way of going unconscious, right? We um, go to the bar to relax. It's a certain way of going unconscious. Right? Um, we, uh, we absorb our attention into something that takes us away from ourselves. And i have got nothing against either the TV or the bar. Right? But if that's all we know of how to relax then that won't serve us very well in the kind of relaxation that we're speaking about which isn't a way of going unconscious. And actually meditative relaxation is the opposite. So like as we learn to soften, settle, we become more we have more accessibility to our experience. eventually mind becomes brighter and clearer. And then in that brightness and clarity, we're able to see, to know, to feel where there's some maybe subtle level of tension. And then that too can soften. So that relaxation and brightness actually support each other, nourish each other, feed each other. So, we could just say, hey, while you're here, please relax. I'm going to the Moulin for a week just to relax. And, and imagine if you say, I'm just going there just to relax, the kind of images people have it's cocktails and <laughs> transats. You know? What do you call those? Sun lounges. You know? Ways of going unconscious. Passing out on a sun lounger with a cocktail. <laughs> no, I'm going to relax by just sitting still all day in a really hot Dharma hall. <laughs> so, I it's true. Just relax. And yet we have a different way of, of understanding that than, than is maybe conventionally used. Or as one of my friend's teachers used to say, relax and don't waste a moment. Or as a Tibetan teacher says, um, yeah, practice as if you had 10,000 lifetimes to reach the goal. And don't waste a moment. Because if we have only one side or the other of that, if we only have don't waste a moment, Don't waste a moment. Pay attention. Meditate. Then that's where we get, you know, get this kind of inter-striving tension. And we're already way, probably, too used to putting that kind of pressure on ourselves. If we only have the other side, oh, 10,000 lifetimes to reach the goal. So if I nod off for the next five days, it doesn't really matter. Then you know we kind of go floppy. We're looking to be what in the Zen is called not too tight, not too loose, right? relaxed and awake. That might be a good instruction to kind of underpin our days together. Relax and be awake. Relax and be awake. Relax as much as you can, given whatever's happening right now. And be awake as much as you can to whatever is standing out to you right now. And those two together, relaxing and attending... Softening and exploring. That we might find as the open doorway to touching and tasting of freeness in life.